Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowlandson. I'm joined by James Rushton for another episode of our Claret and Blue community comments episode. Uh, this is our little podcast where we can take the comments from our previous podcasts and kind of spark debate from those talking points and, and get involved with the community. And, uh, and see what Villa fans are saying and, and put their opinions to us and back out into the podcast. A lot of people talking about a lot of different things. So um, when I said to you, is it worth doing one? We're a bit both, mm, is it? There's not really been any matches. But since Spurs, there actually has been a lot to talk about. Um, you know, even ignoring what's happened for uh, Villa players at an international stage. John McGinn's nice overhead kick. Uh, Ollie Watkins getting off the mark, which is always nice. Um Plenty of things have happened uh, domestically in our hyper-local Aston Villa world, so that's nice, Dan, so we can uh, get back and uh, enjoy some comments. Yeah, let's talk about those internationals very briefly. What, what are your thoughts on the international break? Because for me, I've not even watched England the last couple mm. of games. I, I, I saw Ollie Watkins come on. I wasn't watching the game, and then I heard that he was coming on, so I watched it, saw the goal. Since then, I forgot England were even playing last night or Wednesday night as, as we're recording. Um, yeah, not massively bothered about England. To be honest, we always win in the qualifiers, never do well in a tournament. I want Villa to come back, I want club football to come back and I can't wait for Sunday, to be honest. That's always interesting. Um, I watched the under-21s kind of crash out under uh, Aidy Boothroyd. Uh, It's been a mess for quite a while, despite the talent. Um, But yeah, I do like international football. Uh, The narratives are funny, Um, kind of the talking points. It's like the most extreme version of football because it is so outcome-based and, you know, comparatively with England and the players you have and the time they have together, it's almost like you'd have much more time in league football. I'm not defending England or how they play because I don't really uh, enjoy it too much. But it's just how it kind of switches and kind of takes everything. And I guess because it's bigger and not better, but bigger. And uh, it's it's all the best players in England playing for or, or players who should be the best players in England playing in, in one team. So it's just all hyper-focused. And uh, it takes everything to the extreme, including those narratives, like we just said. So it's always interesting to see when uh, England concede one goal the explosion that happens um, and it's happened it's throughout my lifetime that it's happened um, but I do do like watching England um, not enjoy watching England but I do watch uh, watching them succeed and I've, of course it's even been better with Tyrone Mings Ollie Watkins and uh, yeah. Jack Grealish until his injury showing what they can do at an international level which is really really nice and it's been a long time coming for us yeah, that's the part I like, seeing Villa players do well for internationals, so it's still got a Villa focus for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of, John McGinn scoring for Scotland again. Um, hopefully that reignites a bit of club form for him and repeats what we've been saying. And I think there's a comment that we'll get to later in this episode. Feels a bit wasted playing at DM, doesn't he? Or, or you know, deeper in the Villa midfield when he's scoring goals, when he plays further forward. Yeah, I think when, when Villa came, came up to the Premier League, they had like the, the two... Uh, this is another thing we'll come on to. It's all leading to another comment. The two eights, as yeah. I call the two central midfielders in John McGinn and, and um, Jack Gridge doing all the legwork, pushing in defensively up the pitch, um, having the freedom up top, as well as getting back and doing their duties at the back. Um, Villa have tried that again and again and again. We're trying to replace Grealish because he's moved out to the left where he's far more effective. 
now it's time for uh, John McGinn to get the freedom from it. So we're, we're all in a, a bit of a uh, state seeing how he's how well he's done for Scotland. And I mean, again, it's a different thing, but the overhead kick was really nice. The, the header he got into against, uh, who was it I was playing yesterday? They weren't Faroe Islands. Uh, yeah. They weren't very good, of course. They're not the, the top, top uh, international tier of, uh, you know, of opponent, but John McGinn doing the business against them. So it's nice to see the freedom he has in a, a more advanced position. The overhead kick as well. Uh, someone said it was like peak John McGinn, like a, a ween falling <laughs> off his sofa. <laughs> like That's what it looked like, which is just, you know, it's, it's just the style he has. And I think people look at the way he plays and go, right, defensive midfielder, number eight, central midfield. But he's so much more than that. Like he, he plays like a centre-back, like almost the way he kind of, like muscles people off the board, like the physicality has, but the technical ability has when he when he's allowed to enjoy the freedom, like he's attacking impetus, like he's so unique in that sense, and we, we were missing that a lot. I'd love to see, I'd love to see him get the chance taken off him once more because he thrives. Yeah, the comment I was referring to is from from Lee Johnson. He says McGinn has been wasted playing deep, as simple as that, and that got four or five likes on it as well on, on YouTube. I don't think that's Lee Johnson, the, the Sunderland manager, but if it is, <laughs> that'd be that'd be weird. Do you think we'll see McGinn change position, or is it going to be persist with what we what we've done so far? I don't know. Dean Smith's quite set in his ways, but. Yeah, if he's done it, hopefully he's done it for a reason. But you know, when we go back to our episode introducing Ross Barkley with David, Ross Barkley's meant to be the box to box midfielder, not both of them. Um, so, and now we've got Morgan Sanson. So, does John McGinn need to have those same? Does he need to be plugged in that same position? I, I'm not so sure anymore. I think there was a probably need for it. Villa didn't have the strongest, strongest central midfield in the world, but. John McGinn's deserves to be playing in a more natural position. Maybe, you know, maybe we're talking out the backside. He maybe enjoys playing <laughs> like this. But from what we've seen, the guy loves to run forward. He loves to dive into the box. He loves to arrive in the box. He loves to have a crack. He barely likes to pass to anyone else. He loves to dribble. You know, he, he's he's got to be, if you're looking at the player who should be spearheading that midfield, it's John McGinn. So mm. for me, yeah, I think he wasted... Yeah, it's, it's looked difficult. People target him. He gets plugged into three or four opposition midfielders. He gets challenged. Probably needs that more up the top of the pitch where he's a bit more instinctive and can make that final final third manoeuvre, like unlock it. Doesn't seem to be happening when he's deep, but he's got a lot. Where John McGinn is seated now, he's got a lot more to do to get into the position he wants to be rather than when he's playing up top. Let's go on to our first YouTube comment then. This one is from our AVFC Extra episode where we titled it, Is Dean Smith a victim of his own success? There's plenty of ways that we can kind of articulate what's gone wrong or why there's been a slump. But ultimately, I think a lot of things have just been taken out of context. You know, I think as you say, the main reason why we're having the conversation is because we're in a slump. But that slump is about what, does it last about five games? And then inside that, we've beaten Leeds away. So I think we, we've, we've had worse as Villa fans, haven't we? Craig Taylor Broad says, I don't understand the Smith out brigade. Smith has earned the right to see if he is a good enough manager to push us into Europe. And that was followed up with a comment from Brett Riverboat, who says, this season has been the greatest chance he'll ever have. If it wasn't for Grealish coming back in the championship, we would never have come up and Smith is sacked. COVID saved Smith last season. He was a game or two away from the sack after the Leicester away game. We will finish that season without that break. So two sides of the argument there. One, that we can't be calling for Dean Smith out because he still deserves that chance to take us on because we're ahead of schedule, to put it in quotation marks for those that are what, uh, listening, not watching. And the other side of the coin is saying, well, he's had his chance to, to, to get us this far. And if it wasn't for other circumstances, he'd be gone already. I know you've already spoken about the Dean Smith in or out thing, but how do you address those two comments? 
I think they're both really good. Um, they're both fantastic comments. Um, Craig, I think, is on every episode commenting, and uh, he's always quite vocal on Twitter, so it's nice to see that we featured him uh, finally for once, uh, which is nice. So, yeah, thank you, Craig, and thank you, Brett. If that, that is your real name, Brett Riverboat. It's a fantastic Riverboat's name. a great name, to yeah. It's great, and it? it's cracking. Um, I agree. I think it's it's more like, in conversation me and John had, I think it was more saying that I don't like the binary nature uh, it's like the Arsenal thing, the Wenger out. Once you're Wenger out, you can't be Wenger in. It's like you have to have that position and that forms the basis of your footballing opinion based around the fact that you, you've planted your flag in the Wenger out camp. So it's almost like if Arsenal win and that boosts Wenger's position, that's almost like a bad thing. And, you know, you can see kind of the arguments that develop about that, which is, it's not the way, you know, we should be thinking about football. We should be slowly adapting our opinions. Like with the Leicester game last year, Dean Smith probably should have went. We were, or, or we could have stayed. People thought he could would be the best option if we went down. But Villa were in a massive slump, and it did look. How are we going to get out of this? We were then afforded the time to dig ourselves out of a massive hole. But it, we were in a massive hole, and, and it was because of a variety of things, manager included. We, we we weren't good enough last season, and we stayed up by the skin of our teeth. This season, I think I agree with both. Craig is, is right. Smith has got the credit in the bank. You know, he, he's he's earned the right to prove that he's a manager to push into Europe. He hasn't earned the right to avoid criticism, but he mm-hmm. certainly earned the right to see if he can be the guy to build and build and build on this season because, hey, I think a lot of people are scared that this is our only chance to get into Europe. We're going to have to spend a lot of money to replicate the quote-unquote success of this season. So we'll have to see what happens. But I'm in, in almost in two minds to so agree with both comments. Yes, this season is, has been a fantastic chance. Yes, um, if Grealish come back, we wouldn't even if didn't come back in the championship. We wouldn't even be here. But these are just the things that happen in football, and it's just it's what's made following Villa so amazing. The fact that it's so unpredictable. Like we yeah. were all predicting Villa to go down, Villa stayed up. We were all predicting Villa to finish whatever fifteenth. We could still well finish fifteenth, but we didn't think we'd finish fifteenth by beating Liverpool seven two and having this wild <laughs> ride. So it is hard. It is harder than most other clubs to kind of judge the performance of the manager, Dan. <laughs> like, it's all over the place. You know, to think this time last year, the position we were in with, in the Leicester game, mm. to what what's happened now, it, it's insane because it was Dean Smith is gone. I mean, even Watford, Watford on 28th of December. My dad texted me when I was in a press conference sitting opposite Dean Smith. I was thinking, he's got to be walking after that match, James. And this is a dude, my dad loves Dean Smith. So it's just how bleak it was, I think. Yeah, I think there's a clip. I I was doing a social media clip the other day, and I searched Dean Smith, and there was a, a clip from last March. Just, I think it was just before the lockdown of uh, of 2020, the first one, and the, the clip was titled "Should Dean Smith Be Sacked" or something like that. And I think it was Ash and Matt talking about it. And if I can find it again, I'll put it in here. I think if they get to the end of the season and it carries on as it is, and Villa go down, I think they might may look back and think, "Should we have taken?" decisive action mm. um, 10 games ago I'm still torn to be honest because I still and it's not the Villa fan thing it's not the fact that Dean Smith is, is one of our own I think it's more the fact that he's delivered promotion against the odds ahead of schedule mm. I think that probably cuts him more slack yep. with me than the Villa fan thing and the also uh, another reason why I'd be loath to or I'd certainly give a lot of thought before, before pulling the trigger on him is what are we talking? We're talking Big Sam. Uh-huh. Are we talking John Terry going in there as his number two? Because Terry's just as culpable 
in this is Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as I can see, Villa got the worst defensive record in the in the Premier League. Yeah, uh, I think they conceded seventy five or seventy six goals the year they went down. Um, in 2016 that, which I think they're on 55, 56 yeah, yeah, or something yeah. now yeah. averaging two goals a game they're going to be the, the way they're heading they're going to be yeah. equal in that yeah. and that was that was an abject season Awful. Yeah. you know I just despair it just seems crazy that at one stage we're all going yeah Dean's without he, he probably has to go now Villa probably likely going to go down I remember doing podcasts saying that we're going to have to be planning for the championship and Grealish leaving etc etc you go from that to turn it around in Project Restart and there's times in Project Restart when me and Matt are sat here with our hands on our head going, oh, that's it, we'll have blown it, we're still going down. They managed to survive on the last day. They start the next season in the Premier League, great run of form, massively overachieve. We all start to get a little bit carried away thinking, could we break into Europe? This is a bit of a weird season. If there's ever opportunity to break that mould, it's probably going to be this year. That falls off a bit. Grealish gets injured and now 12 months on, we're all going, well, Dean Smith's taken us as far as he's got, he can. He's got to go. It's just a, a strange ride we've been on. I'm not quite sure how to assess it when I reflect on it because it's only been a year. Part of me thinks to go from such rubbish, essentially, to being massive overachievers. And overachievers is probably the wrong word because we were consistently good for that first, what, 15 games, maybe. You have to give Dean Smith the benefit of the doubt. And I'm definitely not saying Dean Smith should be should be sacked because part of that yeah. conversation is who replaces him. We've done these before and people say, oh, go, go all out for Pochettino when he was out of work. And you sit here going, it's just not going to happen, is it? It's, it's Aston Villa. Pochettino will get a massive club, uh, you know, a European a powerhouse kind of club. Um, so part of that conversation is I don't know who replaces him. Can he be questioned on his tactics? Yes. Can he be questioned on some of his form? Yes. Does that mean he should be sacked? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's where I fall on it. I think the the one part I disagree with with Brett's, well, we can highlight on Brett's comment. I'm not calling him out here. It's a, it's a good comment. <laughs> it's, it's that COVID save Smith. And I know not many people think about this when I say the COVID break, but you got to remember, like, he, he had a personal loss because of that. So if I think in, in the great scheme of things, would he have wanted COVID to happen? And I'm not saying that this is what he suggested by the comment. Like, he, he suffered a personal loss. And if you come to this season as well, COVID hampered Villa. If you go to the... Yeah. Uh, I think some stats bomb put out a. I'll get the graph for you as well, Dan. Stats bomb put out a five-game rolling average of the expected goals for and expected goals against, which is a good barometer of the performance or the attacking performance against a defensive performance. So you can see if you're overachieving, bang on, or you're underachieving. There is a point in time where the COVID break happens where Villa's numbers just crash. I don't, I'm getting the same the wrong way around, but correla- correlation may not imply causation. It might be causation doesn't imply correlation. Same thing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <I think laughs> it might be. But, you know, there is a specific point. It's, it's worth having a conversation that the COVID break killed Villa's momentum, probably more so than Jack Grealish's injury, because mm. you see it, it almost balances out when Grealish is out of the team. When the COVID break happens, it just drops, it, it plummets from game one, it, it, it goes down and when Grealish is out, it, bal- it, it trails off at a, another figure. But that break happened. Last season we had our break, we got better. This season we had a break, we got worse. So swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Move on to our next uh, YouTube video that we're going to reference. These are in no particular order, by the way. The Curtis Davis podcast. Obviously you and Martin, Martin Larson became this this partnership. Did you learn a lot from from playing alongside him? 
I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to say no. Comment from ADA VFC says, absolutely loving these interviews, Matt. Keep up the great work. Matt with two T's always makes me laugh as well. Uh, Curtis seems like a great chap. And it's such a shame regarding the injuries. I can imagine he would have look, been looked at in the same light as Melbourne and Larson if he did kept the injuries at bay. Now, it's weird because Curtis Davis is my era. I don't really remember that much about him. I remember him being a, a decent player, but not really much more than that. The injuries obviously got in the way when he was talking in the, in the podcast, like popping his shoulder back in and stuff. I'm sat there in this room recording it like, recalling in my chair at the thought of popping a shoulder back into place. How do you rate Curtis Davis time at the club, mate? I don't know, because it's, it's like you. He he was in our in our era. Not to kind of say it's just our era, but <laughs> yeah. he was in, in our time when we were, you know, I think I was 14, 13, 12. Yeah, yeah. When he About 2007, 2008, yeah, 12 or 13. Yeah, so I had my first season ticket, and I remember him being on the back pages of the paper quite a lot. And him being linked for a move to Man United, and he, I think it was something like he used to stack shelves. Now he's been linked for a move for Man United, and then Villa got him. And I was thinking, you know, you, you're at that time when you can't watch every game, you can't watch every West Brom game just to analyse an opponent. You know, in your yeah. twelve, so you're not gonna. But <laughs> like that stuff is exciting. It's like, oh, he was linked to Man United. Now he's moved to Villa, so this is a big deal. And in his first game, I think he plays like a terrible game. Barely anyone could watch it by anyone at the stadium. Mm. Comes out and says he's a pub player. And, um, in injuries, I think he had a really bad one against Arsenal, uh, maybe March the 1st, 2008, if I remember, because I was really excited to watch watch uh, Villa. I don't know why, I just remember that day very specifically. And yeah. um, I was really excited to watch Villa. I couldn't because I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have the channel, so I had to follow it on the BBC um, live commentary. Oh, I remember man. him going off with an injury and thinking... You know, was that the Achilles? Really, I don't know. It was a really bad one, though, because he wasn't in for ages. Yeah. Um, but, I remember the game specifically you said about the Achilles. I just remember the description of it being like an athletics gun and the pop of it. And I just was like, oh God, this is disgusting. Turned to go back to right back and just heard like a, it's like a, like really like an athletics gun. That's the way I described it. So it's like a really sharp bang. And then I kind of looked behind me thinking as someone from the crowd, like kicked the ball back in and it's like hit me, but I'm thinking that's really accurate. Um, and then, yeah, then no one was behind me. The ball wasn't behind me. The ball was on the... Um, in the goal kick area and I just went down and, and as I went to, to go down my, my, my literally my foot was just planted on the floor with no kind of hold so I knew I'd heard about it before but I knew my Achilles was gone so um, it was really surreal for the, the physio and the doctor because they were coming on the pitch I'm just sitting there calmly is anything saying my Achilles is gone I've ruptured my Achilles and they, they thought I'd be in pain but because my nerves had gone with it there was no pain it's just the initial punch basically on the back of your heel that you feel and then, um, and that was it, no pain. So the good thing for me and the lucky thing for me is that um, because the injury happened in London, Roddy, the doctor at the time, was um, was in touch with uh, a surgeon called Mark Davis, um, who used to do a lot of the Chelsea lads and things like that. And, and he worked at St. John's and Elizabeth Hospital in St. John's Wood. So it wasn't too far away. And I managed to get surgery within, I think, like three hours or so of doing, doing the injury. So that was amazing for me, you know, like usually you have to kind of go back, ice it all up and all that kind of thing. But he luckily w- was was able to come in and perform my surgery. And, and, and that night I'd already had my surgery and was was ready to start focusing on my comeback. I just remember the, the it's like so many footballers potential being there and the hype being there and he's good. Like there's no problem with that. And maybe if he did play the same amount of games as Malberg and Larson consistently, we'll be yeah. looking at him in the same light. Um but the chance was never there because it was taken from him by the injuries. Um, but I remember him, I don't remember any, anything negative. I remember him being, you know, look, 
it's not like I look back and think, oh, Curtis, Curtis Davis is brilliant. But when you bring up, um, you know, it's absolutely no reason for me to be be negative about his time at Villa. Yeah, fine enough. But one of the funniest Curtis Davis stories I have, my mate, um, when we were knocking around in Edinburgh, like a car pulled up, and we were knocking around playing football uh, in Perry Common. A car pulled up at uh, the traffic lights, and it's a guy just bobbing his head to music. And my mate goes, "James, that's Curtis Davis." And look, it ain't Curtis Davis, mate. Like, it's not even, <laughs> no, right, no chance it's Curtis Davis. Like you said, he goes, oh, all right, Curtis. And the guy who puts his thumbs up and nods his head and goes, yeah, 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 drives off. And he goes, I can't believe Curtis Davis did that. I can tell you now, the geezer was about 50 years old, so he <laughs> wasn't Curtis Davis. But it's one of the fights, because he was going around telling everyone he met Curtis Davis. We did not. Absolutely did it. He was hanging out his car window. Before. I went over. I think I, got, like, I, I wanted to. I wanted to say, Matt, bring that up in the interview. Where, where are you ever driving around Perry Common? Oh, yeah, the answer, <laughs> answer that is probably yes. Also, I love that you just said like, "Oh, we met Curtis Davis." Oh, no, you didn't. You saw the man. Even if, <laughs> even if it was him, you just went, "All right, Curtis." You didn't meet him, but um, yeah, he did. Uh, it just brings it up so many times. Like, we didn't. Jeez. We didn't meet Curtis Davis. Just from a, a podcast point of view, I say this every time we do one of these. Or not every time, obviously, but I always come off a few of them and think, "Ah." Oh, one of the nicest blokes we've had on, one of the best interviews we've done, one of the nicest blokes in football, and I, I feel like I'd give that tag to a lot of people. But the Curtis Davis one, he spoke with such honesty and he was so open and, and, and speaks very well. Also, from a production point of view, he had a, he had a microphone as well. We thought Webbers were coming yeah, on yeah. here. He got pulled his mic in. He's like, oh, does the sound all right? How's my framing? Does my, does my lighting look okay? And I was saying, like, yeah, mate, most people do these on their phone, like sat in, a, in the corner of the room, not even thinking about that kind of stuff. But because he's got aspirations of being in the media and, and doing media work from home, he was uh, really switched on. And like I said, one of my, my favourite podcasts that we've done so far. Yeah, does everything seem all right at my end in terms of my picture? I'm not slow or anything like that. And From a technical point of view, you're the best looking and best sounding guest we've had on, so... <laughs> Dan, can you not flirt with that? You guest, said it. <laughs> Rob Henry said what you said. Uh, honest, open, articulate, very fair, great humour, uh, great interview with humour and insight. And that is just, I think that's what we aim to do. So it's that's really yeah. nice. Especially with yeah. it's, someone like Curtis Davis, I guess. No, again, not doing it down. It's just like, it's not Olaf Malberg, it's not Martin Larson, is it? It's not, it's not Tyron Mings. It's, it's someone who has just enjoyed a career at Villa. No massive highlights, no massive lowlights by the injuries, and there's such good stories in there. And like, only there for a couple of years as well. It's not like you've got someone there who's been there for 15 years. And, and he plays at, he's played at Blues and, and uh, Blues back yeah. East, Leicester and Derby, so he's been uh, been around the Midlands, a few big rivals as well. So it's it's just so good that it can be such a positive thing. We'll go with player ratings next. So this is the uh, the first or second episode that we've called, called Priest's Press Pass, which is very difficult to say. Obviously, Ash Priest is, is the only one still going to games, luckily for him, unfortunately for the rest of us, um, where we kind of catch up with Ash once or twice a week on Facebook Live and, and get his thoughts on what's going on at Villa. I'll probably say Troy has been the, been the standout for me on a consistent basis. Okay, he hasn't lived it up week by week, but he's coming. He ain't done too badly, to be honest. Uh, 17 million initial from Leon. Um, bit of a statement signing as well. Champions League pedigree and all that. He's shown, glim- he's shown glimpses, hasn't he? His skills, first time finishing. Uh, he's got in the goals, but consistency is an issue, as it is with a lot of wingers, apart from Grealish, who's just consistently good. Uh, same with El Ghazi as well. He had that good December. He's um, player of the month in the Premier League. He's on fire, wasn't he? Um, after scoring that penalty. As for Trezeguet, it just hasn't happened for him, has it? He started the season well. He had a goal rubbed out at Arsenal at the back post where that went down as an own goal. That could have kicked him on. And he picked up a hamstring injury at West Ham and 
had a, a, a lengthy spell out. So all three, I'd probably go Traore a seven, Al Ghazi a six, and Trezeguet five probably in that order. I'd say. I just want to get your opinion on how you write the squad as a whole overall. So there's a comment from Cloudy with a chance of UFOs, which is a great name for you for YouTube. He's put 6.5 or 7 out of 10 for the whole squad and 8 out of 10 if we didn't drop off, which I quite like that bit in brackets. It's like saying, well, 10 out of 10 if we won the league. <laughs> but I understand <laughs> the point, like before the drop-off yeah. and 8 after the drop-off of 6.5. How would you rate the, the squad and, and Villa season as a whole? I'd probably give it an 8. and that's, I hope that's not overly positive because of the, the drop-in form and whatever and how it's been in the last few games. But I've still, a lot of the best Villa memories I've had I've been the performances from this season. Some of the best Villa performances I've seen have been from this season. Some of the best individual Villa performances have been this season. Um, in terms of even the goalkeeper to Jack Grealish, it's been it's been fantastic. The turnaround in how we were from last season to this season, it ticks a lot of boxes for me personally. I don't know it doesn't for everyone else. Um, so I'd go with eight to be honest. The eight is bang on because I think the people who needed to turn up have turned up, and yes, there's been. A few issues here and there, but the turnaround from last season, some of the players, Matt Target, the biggest example. Mm-hmm. I think um, Ash said he might write him better over cash, and I think fair enough. Target was, you know, people were saying people were saying that he would make up injury. <laughs> like people fans think he must have made up an injury because he don't fancy playing against an opponent. Now it's like the other way around. People don't want a piece of Matt Target. Like, yeah. He's fantastic. He, he's extremely physical all of a sudden. And uh, he's, he's found his role at Villa. But last season, you may have rated him at six, seven at best, at absolute best. And yeah, he might have had some fantastic performances here and there. But overall, people were thinking, just get by another left back. No, yeah. he, he's been superb. And that is, that, that's not just him. That's many people in the squad. Ezri Konza, the, the progress Ezri Konza's made. Matty Cash in his first Premier League season, stepping in. I out of 10 for me. I don't know about you, Dan. Yeah, I would have gone an 8 as well. I think I'm not going to separate it into pre and post um, the drop-off of Villa because we've still got 10 games to go if we if we continue to do well in those. Yeah. I think an 8 out of 10 is fair. And almost whatever happens, I'll be on the on the higher side of the scale, even if we finish... 13th or 14th I will be a little bit disappointed but it's still progress and we've still had some still had some good moments this season so I think an 8 out of 10 is probably fair off the back of that I don't want to go too much into the player rating somebody Christopher Trotter said I don't think there's a number that we can give to Emmy Martinez I've never seen the fans take to a player like this and we've never even seen him play which is a uh, one of the biggest downsides of the, the the situation with football at the moment I wanted to ask you four spin-off questions and we'll try and get through these pretty quick fire most underrated player in the Villa squad. Most underrated. Uh, I think this is quite difficult. It is. I think I was they're all rated quite well. <laughs> I can't say McGinn, and it's only because he's been off the ball. But people still rate him really highly, and you know, if he starts playing it more naturally, like people would just be expecting it anyway. It's hard. This one's hard because Tre- Trezeguet would have been the big one for me, but he hasn't really, really performed like he was mm-hmm. at the end of last season. Nakamba, I think Nakamba's the oh, one. That's a good shout. Um, that's not bad. Because he's used situation um, in certain situations hmm. like um, that benefit him, so he's not going to be in the, in the team a great deal. But when he is, he does his job perfectly. Yeah, we'll go with the next one, most improved, and this is summed up in an easy one. We've already spoken about him. Yeah. Matt Target. Hang yeah. on. <laughs> Simple as that, isn't it? We've, we've spoken about him at length on a couple of podcasts now. He's uh, certainly the most improved. Possibly Conso even. He was good last year, but he's, he's definitely gone up a level this year. 
but yeah. Target wasn't really anywhere near it last year and, and he's now so I think he, he'd win most improved from it best signing obviously from, from this season Martinez man yeah. <laughs> not even close is it I'm watching yeah, great don't get me wrong like I think Ian Wright compared him to Carlos Devers and Jamie Vardy, which is like, even at Vardy's level, you know, that, that'd be good enough. So Tevez yeah. would be like, don't get, don't get me started. <laughs> uh, Martinez. Yeah. Um, we did yeah. A, a player of the season vote. Who's been Villa's player of the season so far? Martinez got three times the, the vote to Jack Grealish. <laughs> so yeah, says a lot. Yeah. When we first signed him, we spoke to, to Art from Football London, who's now with The Athletic, I think. I mean, he was glowing about uh, about him in Martinez and there was an Arsenal fan that replied saying that he'll win you 10 points this season yes. I think above and beyond that I think he probably, probably yeah. won as close to double that the clean yeah. sheet record alone is, is unbelievable and like Christopher said earlier the fact that we've not even seen him in person yet and, and seen him play it's, um, it's such, such a shame but yeah easily best signing and probably one of the best signings in, in the league as a whole biggest potential now this is going to be the, the squad as a whole who do you think has got the highest ceiling obviously Grealish, we want our goodies, and he can be definitely be better. But I'm not taking that as an answer for potential. There's somebody that is is good at the moment, but could go on to be a a world beater. Don't know about world beater. Yeah, it's hard. Oh, yeah, that's an extreme extreme way of phrasing the question. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, Konza seems to be kind of close to it, so I don't want to say he's got the biggest potential because he seems pretty close to being a really really good Premier League yeah. back. Doug, I think the easy answer is Douglas Louise, but if you want the controversial answer, like <laughs> the only person could actually be is looking at this list from Cloud Uva Chance UFOs that we're using as like kind of a study. The biggest potential in the first team squad, it can't be Louis Barry, Kane Kessler, because they haven't played first team games by the FA Cup, or Carney Chukwueke. It can't be them. The only person it could be is like Keenan Davis. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's the not. only person. Yeah. That's it. Like, because Grealish is there. Bar- Barkley's a good shout, but would Villa sign him next season? Because we all know what Barkley could be. But is think- dropping down? Is that potential? I don't know. I think I think Matty Cash. Yeah, I think that's he's very good. good we all know how good he is. But yeah, that one he's had the, the one season in the championship with Forest where he played right midfield or midfield or wherever it was, and then moved back to right back. Played one good season there. Gets his move to Villa. It's still impressive to the point that. People are saying that he's one of the best right backs in the league this season. I think I think Cash will go on to play for England at some point. Now, I know Can that he say he wanted the Poland call? Yeah, he can. He can yeah, he, well. I know he's what you mean. Good or, enough. Yeah, yeah. I think he. Yeah, I know England were very well stocked at right back, and he's got some tough competition to to get into that starting lineup. And obviously, Southgate will he ever pick him anyway, and all, all that kind of stuff. But I think if we're talking about potential in his ceiling, I don't know how old Cash is. He's 23, 24, something like that. I think in another three or four years, Cash will have played for England. So if that's yeah. looking at, if that is the definition of potential that he can go yeah. on to become an international from, he wasn't even a right back a couple of years ago. <laughs> I think that's the biggest potential. Yeah, I think in in terms of looking at it like that, it's definitely Matty Cash. Um, the other options we have are Ramsey, Courtney Hawes, Keenan Davis. We haven't seen a fat lot from. And it's not not in terms of potential. We haven't seen they haven't played games. Like yeah. Ramsey's played more than Davis. Davis has played like four game four full nineties in like five years. Davis so, won't be here next season. Yeah. I don't think. So if he, if Davis is going to show his potential, it's going to be elsewhere. Which yeah. I think is. You know, I think I think Keenan Davis will be a decent championship player. Yeah, I mean, even at Premier League level, like it's almost like he can hold off at anyone he wants. Like he, but yeah, anything he's, else is not there. He's definitely got some some good traits, but I think he has to play in a two. I don't think Keenan Davis is ever going to make a career out of playing up front on his own. 
Yeah, when when we've kind of the only times he's had available for the squad are in injury crisis, so he's he's never going to play in the Villa squad that suits him. He's never going to have the chance to play in it. And yeah. how do you prove you're better than Ollie Watkins? You know, it's it's a hard one because like he's always the answer, isn't he? The striker who's not playing like Lebel Kozak, it's always the answer. Um, really hope that Davis is because it means Villa will have be really stocked but you just don't have the game time there like there's no he has not played out since that run of games under steve bruce i think i've I worked out in the player ratings article played nothing like he's mm. pl- he's played like 10 minutes here and there even when he started he's been taken off 50 minutes in so <laughs> he's not played so can't make any judgment on him at all um but i hope jacob ramsey this time next year when we have the same question i hope it's jacob ramsey my case is 23 by the way i know that people love it when i get my information wrong but absolutely nailed it there on it so let's <laughs> uh, take that and run um villa back in action against fulham we'll get your predictions in a second but there was a comment from the post spurs stream which feels like three or four months ago at this point from ryan smith that made me laugh and this is the only reason i'm included nothing really to talk about he says our set pieces might want to throw up it's disgusting how bad we are at them. I think we've talked about this before, but why are our set pieces so bad? And I tweeted something similar as well during the game. Which can't beat it first, man. Mm. That Traore corner was, was pathetic. And I think Sanson took one after that. And people saying, oh, we miss Conor Harahan. And as much as we talk about Harahan, all he brings is set pieces. At least he did bring that. Really defensive ones. I think we conceded like two or three. And people have always made the point about the zone of marking. But two or three is like, if you compare it to other teams, that's like nothing, is it? But the, the attacking ones, we can't do anything with them. Maybe it's because our team is, like we said, really just really small and just can't get their head on the ball. But we can't, I know beating the first man is harder than it looks, but it's like every is it time. Though? Is it that hard? I I mean, think... Obviously, I'm not a professional footballer, but they are. Is it really that hard to get the ball past the first opportunity? I think with how sometimes even Conor Harahan, who's in terms of a set piece taker, Oh, he's the guy, isn't he? In terms of a left left foot dead ball situation, he's the guy. Sometimes he wouldn't beat the first man. So I think to take the perfect corner, it's like you've got to get the height to beat the first man, but it's got to be low enough to kind of get into the box for a header. Can't just be punted over like really high school. The goalkeeper just claims it. It's got to have the curve. It's got to have a lot to it. And the fact that we're not even able to beat get past the first step of that like worries me we can't get it high enough but low enough but when we do get it high so it's punted over the other end of the pitch man like it's on the other end of the box so the best we probably need to just get bring glenn Whelan back if i'm honest just to give it to Grealish on the outside of the box like bring on 60 minutes in i love that goal best corner we've ever had i reckon yeah Absolutely love stuff like that. I've done Glenn. Um, we'll move on to the summer transfer window, though. This is something that feels like international break talk because to me, it still feels ages away that the summer window is, is a talking point. But there's been nothing else to talk about. So this has been a, a hot subject in our comments. Um, Keenan McKeever says, How long are the owners going to keep throwing money at it? Is the question before they say, Well, if we're not winning trophies and playing in Europe, then what's the point? We'll come on to the ownership part of that later because there's another comment along the same lines. But for you, how do you think Villa approach this summer window? Is it a case of a, a big rebuild required to push on to that next level? Or do they go in and, and buy three or four players for 25, 30 million each? And that hopefully bolsters the first team. Three or four big signings would make a massive difference to Villa. Even because if then just... this year's squad become the backup. Oh yeah, or even the rotation. You know, it gives Villa just options, which they kind of don't have. They do have midfielders and different types of midfielders, but that's it, isn't it? It's like, where's the other option? Where's the options up front? Where's the options on the wing? That not really there. Yeah. In truth, as as well as Trezeguet did at the end of last season, as well as Algarzi's done at points this season, um, 
we we probably do need a, another winger. We need Bertrand Troy to kick on. We need we need more more first team options. We need a more Premier League quality options. Dare I say, could we get one elite option? Is that is that where Villa can land next season? Can they spend forty million on, on one player and then spend twenty million on a few others? Who knows? But I think I'm really excited about this summer more more so than um, any any other ones because in this one relegation was always at the back of your mind. Still, it didn't go away just because Villa stayed up. So last last summer, you was always thinking, can Villa buy the right players to secure the next step up? And that's happened. And the players we bought last season have kicked on. So Villa have just been proven right kind of every summer transfer window. So, you know, they've got the complete benefit of that. Um, I'm really excited. This, this is the biggest season for us. I'm really looking forward to um, summer for us. I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to see who we'll bring in because I think a lot of people think, oh, we've dropped off. Villa players aren't going to be impressed. Grealish is gone. I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think, look, it might not be eye opening somewhere where you're competing with Man United all of a sudden, but. I think we'll we'll have an option to make a splash and, and make a big difference and mm. kick on and, and and build something of this. Villa have done it. They've brought Johan Langer in to um to you know overhaul the recruitment. They bought new recruitment personnel. Rob McKenzie, one of them. We've got another bloke in just last week to to identify players. So we're making the right waves off the pitch. So yeah. I don't see where the conversation happens. And it is an anxiety about being a football fan. It's it's finding your place in a congested world. You know, it's not like Philip. You, you can just fit in and, and be Villa and survive off your name and history. So I get the anxiety. No one wants to see us do what we've done before, but I can't see how that happens, man. Maybe there is a situation where we drop off next year, but in the long term, I can't see how this this goes wrong because they've hired the right people. <laughs> like famous last words, <laughs> but I can't. I can't. It would take. It would take some collapse. It would, oh. and I mean... It's on different levels, but I bet Sheffield United would probably sound the same in the summer. I know, but their ownership situation is, is has always been some kind of an issue. There has been, mm, yeah. since I can remember, since they had the, the sale, and, and I'm not sure of the guy they sold to. don't want to say his name on here because I'm going to get it wrong and that's going to be just <laughs> extremely bad. But from their situation, there's been dysfunction. It hasn't been a a, a cohesive top to bottom project and Villa has like yeah. any toxicity or any dysfunction has been removed from the club um, in terms of the playing staff and playing personnel in terms of the coach staff in terms of the recruitment staff it's, it seems to be everyone's on the same wavelength which is a good start Do you know I mean people might bring up Sheffield Giant. it's a very easy comparison but I think there's a level of dysfunction in the boardroom that simply isn't there that yeah, has to simple the back five, Jack and Ollie, are the only players consistently good enough this season. The rest of the squad needs to improve if we're to ever think about Europe next season in any way. And the other comment from the guy that we can't pronounce says, any player looking to Villa has an opportunity to play in a club on the up and to prove themselves. That and the fact they get to play with Jack Grealish, which is invaluable if you're an attacking player yourself. Mentioning those, the back five, Jack and Ollie, that's seven players out of 11 that have been good enough this year, which to be fair, that's what I would agree that's with good, as well. Yeah. Um, which to be fair, yeah, seven out of 11 isn't bad, is it? But... If you if you want to be consistent and winning things or getting in, into a position where you're getting into Europe, you need 11 out of 11 to be good, not just seven. So how many do you think we need to improve in the summer and what positions are there? Probably the wings and, and the attacking midfield, unless John McGinn gets actually used. Got a lot to see from Morgan Sanson. Um, it's been quite a start from at the club. He hasn't probably come in. He 
yeah, he hasn't been starting games since he, he was signed. He's only been starting very, very recently. So still still some way to go for him. But I think some some improvements in attacking midfield, if not McGinn. Um, another starting winger, just so when Bertrand Traore is off the ball, there's someone to bring in or someone to start in place of him. Yeah, um, But I, I really like him, though. I, I, some of the stuff he can do. Like we say, there's no player like Jack Grealish. There is. He's just not at it. For uh, <laughs> every game, he's not even, you know, sometimes he shows 10 minutes here and there have been brilliant. But in terms of a player who can dribble and lock defences, Traore can do it. So it's a shame he can't do it every game. But forward improvements, um, I think I would, I would, I, I don't know, maybe find the next Konza because I didn't, th- I didn't even think, I don't think he even thought he'd probably <laughs> be starting as soon as he did with uh, Mings and Engels kind of playing well at the start of last season but yeah. made a position his own so can we find the next Desri Konza someone who can step up if he is to leave I hope he doesn't but you know never you never know with these things um, but yeah it's only it's only a few quality improvements you need and some depth options and some potential and you look, there's still a, a wave of Villa youth players that we don't know what we've got and they seem to be making all the right noises so we'll see Dan I think Villa need to go pretty big this window to be honest um, whether that's in terms of money, I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they need seven or eight players unless they lose three or four. I think you probably need, we're always going to be linked with a striker still. Eduard is the name that keeps coming up. Tammy Abraham, another that keeps coming up. I just don't know, with Ollie Watkins being the main guy, I don't think we'll go and spend 40, 50 million on Tammy Abraham. And I said exactly the same in the summer just gone. And yes, he's not playing at Chelsea. So does he come in and start straight away? I don't know. Do you play Ollie Watkins out wide? Do you play two up top? There is options there, but it doesn't seem like Dean Smith changes it. So it's usually one striker. Ollie Watkins is his guy. So I don't see us spending big on a striker, although that's going to be the, the main link because it's the, the sexy link, isn't it? A striker, the goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Midfield, I think you you need, you possibly need another centre-back. You probably need a, a, a backup left-back and somebody yeah. to oh, potentially overtake target. Target doesn't deserve to lose his place unless it's somebody you go and spend 40 million on a, on a left-back. But if you sign somebody for 10, 15 million, they've got to be as good as Target and pushing him to improve and to hopefully replace him at some point. Rico Henry is a name that has been linked many times before. If there's one player that I'd, I'd like to just to see at Villa, I don't know whether we particularly need him. If you line up Wendy. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Same <laughs> no, no, vibes. Vibes, But Wendy from Norwich, uh, the fact that he's still at Norwich is, is mind blowing to begin with that he's, he's stayed down there in the Championship. But. People probably said the same about Jack Grealish at one stage with, with Villa. I don't know whether he'd fit it, where he'd fit in, whether we, we'd have to play a, a, a proper number 10 for him to, to work, but Grealish, Brendia, and Watkins as a, as a three and, and a, a right winger as well. I, I don't think Troy Rice starts next season, to be honest. Uh, I think he becomes the backup and one of or both of Trezeguet and El Ghazi leave. Um, and you get a bit of cash in for those and you put that money towards an, another winger that comes in and starts. Who that is, I don't know. And as Ash was saying on, on his episode, somebody like Michael Elise from, from Reading, yeah. release clause of eight or 10 million or something. That's a player that you buy for the future. He, he plays one season and he's already worth 15 to 20 and it feels like a no-brainer to go after deals like that. So they'll be the ones I'm looking at. Brendy is going to get promoted with Norwich though. So again, he might stay at Norwich with them in the Premier League. But if somebody comes in like an Arsenal or a Man United who have also been linked with him, they become the big boy targets, don't they? And Villa don't don't get a sniff. So he'd be one that I'd, I'd love to see playing in a Villa shirt because I really like him. But whether we need him or not, is another question. We'll move on to the ownership points. You were saying about you know the ownership's being settled and stuff like this. But what Keenan was saying about you know is there going to be a point when they say let's stop throwing money at it? Marco Heaney also says 
it seems that everybody has faith in the owners and their spending, but I don't. I follow since the age of six and my trust in owners has been shattered. I think I won't ever see us in Europe for the rest of my life and I'm already used to it, to know how old this guy is, but I think Villa will get into Europe in the next five years. Um, I don't trust the positive spin put out by the club. The owners will eventually lose interest. That's the way it goes. That's a very uh, downbeat comment from, from Michael there, but everyone's entitled to their opinion. So far, Villa's uh, owners have been pretty much the perfect owners. I don't know the, the fairy tale story. They come in, save the club, uh, put money in, get Dean Smith in. He gets promotion. They keep Jack Grealish on a new deal. They get other players signed up on new deals. They keep giving us money. Villa improve. So far, happy days and long may that continue. But is there a point when they start to go, well, Villa could have got into Europe this year. They haven't. Let's get rid of Dean Smith. Jack Grealish, oh, Man United have given us 100 million. Let's take it. Let's move on. Is that feasible or not? Look, I, I get the worry. Um, I get the concern. I think we should always be not concerned or, or negative about our owners, but we should all have it in our mind that there, there can be ulterior motives about owning a football club and there can be a level of boredom, a level of fun involved with, with the ownership of a football club. I and mean, if it's not there, then a big source of the fun that Villa Club can just up and leave. As we have seen with Villa, obviously we've seen worse at many other clubs. Um, I think we're in good hands though because they haven't come in and went, right, I'm running this club now, I'm the CEO, and I'm going to choose the transfers. I've hired a guy to do that, um, Christian Perslow, who's who's you know obviously very outspoken, who also seems to have an idea about how the game should be played and how a club should be run. Right now, that's working really well for Aston Villa. Chances are it could not, it, it could you know go go south and not work. But I think they've earned absolutely. It's like if, if Dean Smith has credit in the bank, then the owners do as well. I get the concerns. You know, billionaires are a certain type of person, and we've got two. Oh, you know, two in charge of you know massive, massive uh, companies. Want to want a hedge fund? So these are these are ruthless guys, especially probably more so Wes Edens, anyone else. But my concern isn't there. My concern is more so about any economic impact on their personal business activities that may then affect Aston Villa rather than them just upping and leaving and getting bored. I don't see it being there. Absolutely, mate. Um, I don't see there being a worry about the owners at all at the moment. Concerns, you're right to have, people have right to have concerns, but if, you, if you're talking about them getting bored and getting fed up and leave, leaving, then they've had a right treat, haven't they? To be fair, since they've come into the club, they've come into the club and it's but done nothing but not just improve. It's shot directly upwards. Mm. Like <laughs> since we're, since if you go back to Wes Eden's and Sirius's takeover of the club, the club has done nothing but shoot directly upwards in a, in a straight line. It hasn't just steadily improved from the day of potential administration, friendly against Warsaw, Steve Bruce in charge to playoff victory. To surviving on the last day, to being to beating Liverpool seven two, and playing pretty pretty well. How can I get bored? <laughs> that they had nothing but a massive high. I don't, know, I don't even know what we're talking about. Villa being sold, but if Villa are to be sold, they will make a profit on the club because they're in a better, better position now than when they found them. Uh, Villa have got loads of saleable assets. They're worth a lot of money. The owners have got loads of money as well. There's the talk of the FFP changing or being scrapped or whatever the wording is. That gives them opportunity to spend and hopefully put Villa into a position where they can be more profitable, more successful, and that's a benefit to the owners. So I don't see yeah. that any any immediate danger of them going, oh, I'm bored of this, or let's cash in, or let's stop giving Dean Smith money because we've given him enough. I understand concerns, but um, personally, I'm pretty pretty casual about the whole thing. We'll end on something a, a bit more light-hearted. We're just going to give it another quick plug to our League Cup feature that we did. It's obviously, I think it's a week ago, the anniversary yeah. of the, the 
1996 Cup final, so it's not the day anymore, but that, that feature is still relevant. Obviously, if you want to go back and watch it, we interviewed Ian Taylor, John Gregory, Brian Little, and also some bits of Rob Bishop that we shot in like January 2020 that just happened to still be useful. So that was nice to be able to weave those in as well. We're fast approaching the 25-year anniversary of winning the thing at Wembley. Can't believe it. Can't it's mad, isn't it? You don't, you don't look a day older either, do you? I feel it. <laughs> That team was one hell of a good team. And winning that League Cup was was an unbelievable experience. Uh, when they went two down there, you thought, well, that's it. They were a big team back then, and um, with some star, star players. In 94, you go in there thinking, oh, God, Man United. In 96, you go thinking, yeah, we got this. Yeah, we win the League Cup every two years. <laughs> yeah. That was a, it's just the way it's it just was, what happens. It? You know how Bielsa this year went and spied on the opposition? Yeah. Howard had actually got somebody to come and watch us training. I had to go back and tell Howard Wilkinson that the kit man played in goal this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Paul McGrath just sat on the side doing nothing, eat, eating an, uh, an orange and an apple or something. What would that night have been like, celebrating? Can't remember much about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, proud, crikey. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. What was most exciting, Brian, leading Aston Villa out at Wembley or the, the, the motorcycle that escorted you from the hotel to the stadium? <laughs> <laughs> I do like motorbikes. <laughs> It's coming from Daniel Wells. Says brilliant work, boys. Could have been four times longer. Love Tails and John Gregory, of course. But Brian Little will always walk on water. What a player! What a man! And conveniently, we've got a Brian Little episode coming out on Tuesday, the sixth of April, which I'm currently editing. File I've got so far is one hour fifty-two, so that'll be cut down a little bit. But it's a nice big chunky interview with Brian Little and some really really good stories in there. And uh, yeah, definitely one to look out for next Tuesday. So thank you very much for tuning in to, to everything that we do. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as well, where we're trying, as we said before, to get you involved, your you, your viewpoints and your comments. Um, thanks, James, for, for going through this all with me. Plenty of talking points uh, ticked off there, despite the international break. So yeah, uh, internationals, transfers, squad depth, all of it covered here on Claret and Blue. As we said, Brian Little will be out on Tuesday, the 6th of April. So make sure you come back for that. It's a, it's really, really a cracking episode in, in the bits I've edited so far. Um, we'll be back on Sunday for the post-Fulham chat. I believe it's you and me because I think Matt Kendrick's playing five aside. I'm sure he texts me saying I've got five aside, so I don't know if I'll be able to make it, which, I mean, fair Well, that's a bad him, excuse, isn't it? Because I'm excuse. working on that yeah, day. Right? <laughs> I have work to do on that yeah. day, so not thanks, Matt. So yeah, cheers, Matt. But yeah, thanks everyone for watching. Thanks, James, for joining me on this podcast. We'll see you again on Sunday. Catch Brian Little on Tuesday, and we'll be back again with another another chat next week. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the villa. Up the villa.